I'm Jonathan Goldstein, host of Wiretap. Each week you're invited to listen in on my telephone conversations, whether funny, sad, wistful, or even slightly strange. You never know just what you might hear on Wiretap. Uh, I mean, I knew you had a show. I just, I just didn't think that people actually listened to it. Howard, That's you... the breath of your genius, Jonathan. It's not just that you're funny, but you can be cripplingly, poignantly depressing. The Wiretap Archives, available on CBC Listen, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Every year in British Columbia, that sound rings out thousands of times. Logging has been a big part of BC's economy for more than 100 years. It still is. And among those cuts, every year, you'll find old-growth trees. British Columbia is home to some of the biggest and oldest trees in the world, like red cedars that are 12 meters around, as wide as maybe seven or eight adults, all holding hands around the trunk. So, giant. The province's definition of old growth is anything older than 250 years for coastal forests or 140 years for interior forests. Of course, ironically, it's hard to tell just how old a tree is without cutting it down and counting its rings. Old growth, specifically, has long been an important part of BC's forestry sector, The wood, considered more valuable for high-end products, is vital for an industry that brought in more than a billion dollars in revenue in 2020. Which means these huge, ancient trees are felled every year. And it is over these big trees that activists and loggers, First Nations and policymakers are waging a war in the woods. A war that will take a total paradigm shift to resolve. I'm AC Rowe, and this is The Doc Project. Today, we are exploring the latest twists in a decades-long battle over old-growth logging, how it started in BC, and where it's going next, and how this old fight over even older trees might be finally finding some common ground. Today's story starts with a guy who photographs big trees. His name is TJ Watt. If you've read much Dr. Seuss, TJ is a bit of a modern Lorax. He uses his camera and social media as a way to protect old-growth trees. Or try to. Doc Project contributor Brad Bedelt will take it from here. How do I find the trees? Well, uh, it's a mix of things. Part intuition, part satellite maps, and then a lot of hiking around. To me, it's just one of the greatest treasure hunts, really. My name is TJ Watt. I'm a campaigner, photographer, and co-founder with the Ancient Forest Alliance. It's Wednesday morning, late July. TJ and I are hunched over a computer in a cramped office in downtown Victoria. The walls are lined with posters and piles of t-shirts and pamphlets. It's the home base of Ancient Forest Alliance, a nonprofit that TJ co-founded 11 years ago. TJ has invited me along on a big tree hunt, or as he calls it, a treasure hunt. And this is how he starts. So I spend a lot of time looking at Google Earth and other satellite imagery, a lot of time on IMAPBC, which shows you all the different data layers, like approved or pending cut blocks or roads and vegetation index information and just kind of comparing all of those. Uh, and then I make plans on, on where to go. And from there, the adventure really begins. Over the years, TJ has hiked thousands of kilometers most of that off-trail, all in search of big trees. It's a bit like looking for a needle in a giant haystack. Vancouver Island is more than 400 kilometers long, and it's literally covered with trees. For me, that's my favorite part of the job, is is just there's no greater time than, than just hiking off the road where there's no trail and clambering over and under logs and 
and just not knowing what you're going to see. DJ grew up not far from here, in a town called Machosan. He's in his early 40s now, but he's been taking photographs ever since he was a kid. I'm not sure if there was like a particular singular moment where I became interested in trees or forests. Like just growing up on Vancouver Island, you're surrounded by beautiful forests, you know, the majority of your life. And uh, thankful to have uh, my grandma growing up really took me on a lot of forest walks out through Royal Roads and Goldstream Park. I think that helped develop an innate connection with the natural world. But more specifically, like my introduction to old growth itself uh, came later in life, in my early 20s, when I did a trip with Ken Wu out to the Walbrand Valley on southern Vancouver Island. Ken Wu is the other co-founder of Ancient Forest Alliance. Ken was a bit of a mentor for TJ. That first trip they did to the Walburn Valley, a couple hours north of Victoria, was more than 15 years ago. That's what really sparked TJ's interest in photographing trees and trying to protect them. He took me into an old growth cut block and and showed me cedar stumps that were 15 feet in diameter from trees that had just been cut down. And that was the real uh, shocking and awakening moment where I just couldn't believe that not only did trees this big still exist, but that they were still being cut down. Um, And that's really when I first started photographing them as well. The idea of conservation photography was just kind of starting to grow back in the early 2000s. And meeting Ken and, and having him introduce me to old growth on the island and seeing those big trees and the big stumps just catalyzed all those things for me. And in that moment, I didn't know how we were going to make it work, but I knew that that was a direction that my life needed to go. And I was going to keep aiming that way and just trusting that things would work out and fall into place if I just put in enough time and effort. TJ's first published photograph was of a stump, a really big stump, about four meters wide in the middle of a clear cut on a wet, foggy day. The photo somehow manages to be both beautiful and unsettling. The picture we took that day, I remember getting printed probably like, you know, two or three inches wide in Monday Magazine, uh, the little newspaper at the time. And I thought, oh, wow, like, hey, we went all the way out there to this remote place. We shot a photo and now it's in a newspaper and now everyone can see it. I was like, that's pretty cool. Since then, TJ has tracked down some of Canada's oldest, biggest trees trees that were here long before Europeans arrived, trees big enough to drive a car through. His photos have appeared in newspapers and magazines around the world, places like The Guardian and Outside Magazine. And in some cases, his photos have actually made a difference. There's a stand of trees near the town of Port Renfrew that people call Avatar Grove. The trees actually look like something out of the Avatar movie. TJ photographed them about 10 years ago and public interest took off. The stand was eventually protected, and today it draws thousands of tourists every summer. The feeling was incredible. With all the different environmental challenges facing the planet today, it can often feel overwhelming or hopeless, and that you know we can't make a difference. We don't have the power to. We're too small, or corporations and governments are just too big. But watching the campaign for Avatar Grove build and grow and result in this forest being protected was just a great example of the power that we actually do have. But a lot of the time, the trees that TJ photographs, they get cut down. In fact, most of them do. So last year, he decided to do something different. He decided to photograph an old growth forest before and after it was logged. Yeah, the idea of doing a before and after series of images has been with me for quite a while now. I've done individual shots here and there, that weren't necessarily planned. I just happened to have got a photo of a tree and then returned and it was gone and I tried to do it again. But always in the back of my mind, I had the idea that if I carefully planned everything out, like how far away I was from the tree, what lens I was using, took reference photos of how my tripod was set up, GPS, the track and the location, I could create very um, closely replicated before and after images into into a series. The question was just where was it going to happen and when? And I didn't really know until I ended up back in the Kai Hughes Valley. The Kai Hughes Valley is partway up Vancouver Island, a few hours north of Victoria. 
TJ had been there before, but this time, he says logging was already underway. And I was found myself standing right on the dividing line between the clear cut with giant stumps and this beautiful slope of incredible ancient red cedar trees that literally the next day would start to disappear. You know, the chainsaws are still on the ground and there's one giant cedar right on the edge of the cut block where I remember thinking like tomorrow morning it won't be here. So I just started to work my way through the forest shooting these photos uh, of trees and it's a very odd experience to feel that you're essentially taking a portrait of something on it in its final days. Other than the fallers that cut them down, nobody else was going to see these trees unless I took photos. Six months later, when TJ went back, the forest had been clear-cut. It was gut-wrenching. Like, I think oftentimes in the environmental movement, at least personally, I have a tendency to try to compartmentalize your emotions. You have to deal with a lot of um, sadness and, and challenges and frustrations along the way. But certain things hit harder than others. And the loss of that forest in the Kaikyus was, it was heartbreaking. Like, to retrace my steps through a forest that I knew personally that was one of the most beautiful areas I had ever explored. And to see it just this gray graveyard of stumps and broken debris, rocks tossed everywhere, just completely and utterly destroyed. It, it really chips away at your, at your soul. TJ set up his camera and tripod again. Then he posted the before and after photos on social media. There's a shot of him standing beside a towering cedar tree. And then the after shot of him standing beside the stump. From there, things went a little crazy. Yeah, we shared the before and after images both on Facebook and Instagram and in a, in a media release. And, uh, you know, when you refresh the page just a few minutes later and it's already got a hundred comments and a thousand shares, you can tell pretty quickly that, oh, this is gonna, this is gonna blow up in a big way. The before and after photos have been viewed on social media by more than two million people. And the battle over old growth logging in BC, it was on. This is a battle that goes back decades. But this past summer, the RCMP made more than 900 arrests in an area called Ferry Creek, not far from where TJ took those before and after shots. CBC Vancouver's early edition was there covering the protests. Well, that is the sound at the Waterfall protest camp near Port Renfrew yesterday. Activists were on site trying to block access for logging crews in the area. Protesters are trying to protect what they say is some of Vancouver Island's last unprotected old-growth forests. Police are enforcing an injunction granted to the forest company. TJ said that 2020 was his hardest year yet. He felt burned out with the pandemic, with his work, with everything. But the hunt for big trees keeps pulling him in. And today, he's taking me with him. Great. Is it possible to show me where we're going yeah. on the computer? The place we're going is, well, it's in the middle of nowhere. It will not be an easy trip, which I think appeals to TJ. So here we're looking at uh, a view of Google Earth here and there we are down here in, in Victoria. We're going to head up island all the way up towards Euclid. We're going to hop in a boat and make our way through Barkley Sound. That's right. This place we're going, we have to take a boat to get there. An area known as Vernon Bay. Um, never explored this region before, but... Um, but yeah, it should be an adventure. And if we're lucky, TJ's pretty sure we're going to find some amazing trees out there. So why exactly are these giant old trees being cut down? Well, there is another side to this story. A side that maybe doesn't lend itself as well to photographs. Forestry's always been the underpinning of the British Columbia economy, especially in the north, especially in rural communities. That's Jim Gervan. I live in Ladysmith, British Columbia. 
I'm a forest industry consultant. Jim is an expert in the economics of logging. He's also the former director of an organization called the Truck Loggers Association. Jim moved to BC from Toronto in the 1980s to work in forestry. Back then, he says, the industry was booming. When I came to Prince George, where I first started working, um, the sawmills were still being built, pulp mills were still expanding. Um, there were places where, you know, north of Prince George and Mackenzie and the Peace region, where there was still uh, no development whatsoever. And the job that we did was, you know, locating initial roads, you know, assessing the quality of the timber, you know, putting together permits for logging. It was a very much a growth industry. But since around 2000, Jim says that the forestry industry has been shrinking, and pretty dramatically. If we look back and just look at Stats Canada, who, who, who tracks this kind of information, and in 2001, we had somewhere north of 200,000 jobs, either direct or indirect. And the most recent data that we have suggests that between 2001 and 2020, we're down to about 100,000 jobs, direct and indirectly tied to the forest industry. We've lost a little more than half. Jim explained that there's been a few factors that have caused the downturn. The U.S. softwood lumber tariff is a big one, he says. New technologies have eliminated jobs too. But Jim argues that conservation, the sort of work that TJ does, has also had a big impact. There's been a lots of uh, decisions, you know, driven by the, uh, by the public's desire to uh, protect forests. There's been a lot more parks and preserves and protected area. So the allowable cut has come down. The allowable cut is the number of trees that logging companies are allowed to cut down each year. It's set by the provincial government. And Jim says it's been declining over the years. Not everyone agrees that conservation has led to job losses. And there's a lot of debate about the numbers, especially about how much old-growth forest is actually left. But the question a lot of people do have is why log old-growth forests at all? Why not focus on logging second-growth forests? Let's ban old-growth logging. At face value, what that suggests is that we're going to stop logging trees over 250 years of age. Well, that, what that means is that 40% of the allowable cut would go away, as well as the sawmills, the logging jobs, trucking jobs, and all the secondary support jobs that go with it would be eliminated from the British Columbia economy on the coast immediately. We'd have loss of 10 to 15 sawmills, and the pulp sector would probably collapse completely. And unfortunately, most of those jobs are in communities like Ladysmith and Nanaimo and Port Alberni and Port Hardy, rural communities where they are, in fact, the only and major employer. So when the public calls for bad all old growth, I think they really have to understand what the consequences are of what that really means. Jim says there's just not enough second-growth trees yet to sustain the industry. There will be at some point in the future, but not right now. Old-growth trees also happen to be the most valuable trees, which, for an industry that's struggling, is important. Old-growth trees, by definition, are older. And as trees grow, the annual rings that they put on, you know, from the outside and continue to put new layers of wood on, become thinner and thinner and thinner. It ends up being a, a tight-grained piece of wood. So that when you cut it, uh, it's, it's, it's very firm and it's got a nice look to it. Old growth logs, you know, for example, are very good for guitar tops. And that's one of the example uh, products that a lot of people come to British Columbia for. For a lot of small towns, Jim says that stopping old growth logging would be devastating. It's the root of the whole debate. And environmentalists aren't the only ones protesting. Anti-old growth logging protesters and forestry industry supporters exchanged heated words this weekend near Lake Cowichan. This past summer, while anti-logging activists were setting up blockades in and around Ferry Creek, loggers started holding their own protests. We're here to support our families and the logging industry itself. We're just out here today uh, promoting logging, uh, loggers, and uh, defending the uh, logging uh, industry in British Columbia tensions between advocates for preserving the province's remaining old-growth forests and supporters of the forest industry and communities that rely on it. When you live in, in Campbell River or Port Hardy or Port McNeil 
and you know, 80 or 90% of the economy of those towns is driven by for the forest industry. The fact that they've got the opportunity, they've got revenue, municipal revenues that allow them to hire a doctor to come to town, to hire a chiropractor in their town. If the forest industry wasn't there operating, those towns would not have any of those services and they'd eventually become ghost towns. They all recognize that clearly. But their problem is, is they don't tend to get a voice. The media tends to cover the, the issues that become flashpoints, you know, Ferry Creek and police going out and dragging people away. That becomes news. The fact that somebody in Port McNeil is saying, geez, if, if, our, if our logging economy went away, our doctor would leave town and we'd have to drive two and a half hours if we had an emergency. That gets lost and doesn't get covered in the media that well. It wasn't always this way. For early loggers, their biggest challenge was just getting these giant trees out of the forest. For a long time, most people, including scientists, thought that cutting down old-growth trees was actually good for the environment, almost like tending a garden. It wasn't until the 1980s that that belief started to change. I started working in forestry research in British Columbia in 1982, which I suppose is nearly 40 years ago now. And the old-growth forests at the time were generally referred to um, in literature, in textbooks, as being uh, overmature and decadent. I love those adjectives, overmature and decadent. And the intent of forest management was to uh, log these uh, forests. My name is Andy McKinnon. I'm a forest ecologist and I live in Machosan, British Columbia. Andy literally wrote the book on Vancouver Island's tree species. It's a popular field guide here. He also has a funny superstition when it comes to dealing with bugs. I've spent more than three decades working in the forests in British Columbia and in a lot of parts of the province. Uh, the biting and sucking insects are a constant uh, torment for people working in the woods. And so I began probably more than 20 years ago now eating the first mosquito that I saw each spring in the hopes that the smell of that mosquito, that terrified mosquito on my breath would frighten off other biting and sucking insects. And I've continued right up till 2021 to, to eat the first mosquito that I see and, and can catch each spring. Uh, I think if you believe it works, maybe I'm tormented just a wee bit less. But when you get into uh, some parts of the, the woods, particularly in northern British Columbia, it doesn't offer an awful lot of relief. Andy was one of the first researchers in BC to look at the ecological value of old-growth forests. And what he and others found is that old-growth forests weren't overmature or decadent. They're actually full of life. A number of researchers in British Columbia, and that included me, started to document the structure and composition of old-growth forests, especially Douglas fir forests, and how that differed from the second-growth forests that regenerated following logging. What they found is that these old-growth forests are really important ecologically. The forests of coastal British Columbia are some of the most magnificent and distinctive forests on Earth. They contain most of the largest tree species on Earth, most of the oldest tree species on Earth. They contain the greatest accumulations of carbon documented for any ecosystems on Earth. And they provide a whole bunch of really distinctive habitats that we don't see in second growth forests. Andy explained that there are tiny bugs that only live in the canopy of old-growth trees and certain types of mosses and lichen. There are bigger creatures, too, that rely on old growth. Things like the marbled murelet, which is a seabird and the only seabird on our coast that nests on the branches of old-growth forests. It doesn't nest on the branches of second-growth forests. Its requirement seems to be branches that are large enough it's not a particularly good flyer, but that are large enough that it can sort of crash land on top of 
and not skid off the other side. And we just don't grow trees that large in our second growth forests. Slugs, salamanders, spotted owls, Andy had a long list of species that only live in the sorts of trees that TJ photographs. The fact that old growth forests are ecologically important might seem obvious now, but back in the 80s and 90s, Andy and the other researchers' discoveries were groundbreaking, not to mention controversial. It was incredibly contentious and divisive. It was around the same time that protesters started gathering on the west coast of Vancouver Island, near a place called Clackwat Sound. Clackwat is an area that has a lot of very old trees, and it was slated for logging. The protesters were up at 4 o'clock this morning to get to the logging road ahead of the loggers. In 1993, more than 900 people were arrested there. It became known as the War in the Woods, and it was international news at the time. As the truck inched forward towards the blockade, the protesters locked arms and refused to move out of the way. No, I am not. Remember, you're going to stand aside? No. You, sir, you're going to stand aside and allow the truck to go through? No, I'm not. The logging truck was eventually forced to turn back. Karen Tankard, CBC News, Clacklet Sound. It marked a big turning point for old-growth logging, which, until then, had been pretty well accepted in B.C. Due to the efforts of local First Nations, along with a lot of public pressure, Clackwad Sound was eventually protected. For a lot of people, the old-growth logging issue seemed to be over. But it wasn't really. Old-growth logging continued just not in Clackwatt Sound. Which brings us back to TJ and our big tree hunt. Should I be nervous about our trip? <laughs> no, I think we'll be fine. Um, and it, it's, really, it's really addictive in a way. We had a long day ahead of driving, riding in a boat, and then bushwhacking. For TJ, this would all be for the slim hope that a photograph of a giant ancient tree might somehow capture the public's imagination, and that this place we were going to might be left standing. AC here. Coming up, TJ and Brad go big tree hunting, armed with a camera, a measuring tape, and a whole lot of bug spray. Sit tight. What if there were a fountain of youth pill that could add decades to your life? Would you take it? Unlocking the Fountain is a podcast about the mysteries of aging and the scientific quest to slow, stop, or even reverse it. When do you think we're going to have the first 150-year-old? I think that person's already alive. Unlocking the Fountain. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. That sound you hear? That's an outboard motor. For our big tree hunt, TJ had his sights set on a forest near Barkley Sound on the west coast of Vancouver Island. To get there, we had to take a boat, a 14-foot Zodiac, which I would call a glorified inflatable dinghy. When I drove up the island with TJ, we made one pit stop along the way to visit a friend of his. We stopped in Port Alberni, to talk with Brenda Sayers from the Hoopachasseth First Nation. We met outside the Indigenous school where she works, a place she took obvious pride in. Brenda told me that ever since she was a kid, she spent time hiking through her territory. Well, it's a, a reprieve from being in the city, being in a house, being at work. It's serene. It, it, you, you can feel that the forest is alive when you look at the trees. You can almost see them vibrating. You can appreciate these are homes to eagles or bears. It's like home. It's like my second home. That's what my father used to say. He said he would say, oh, Brenda's up in her second home again today. The Hoopachasas territory has a lot of old growth, and a lot of it has been logged. Brenda has been pretty vocal in her opposition to logging over the years. I asked her why these old growth trees matter so much to her and to the Hoopachasas. Well, they are important to us for a number of different reasons. 
One of the things that sticks out for me the most is our ability to continue with our traditional practices. I had a, a young hunter from Hupachisa come talk to me recently and show me an area of old growth that he would like to have protected um, because there's elk and deer in that area that he's able to hunt. And if those old growth forests are taken, then it's eliminating you know, their homes. Where do they go? The Hupachasath also use old growth trees, cutting them down sparingly. Brenda is against widespread commercial old growth logging, in part because of what that could mean for her people's traditions. For example, we need a tree that is 700 years or older to build um, house posts or welcome figures or canoes. So if these trees become extinct, then so does that part of our culture die. And so our interest in protecting it is old growth forests is for future generations. So they have the same rights to practice um, our First Nations ways as we did. Before setting off again, I asked her why she thought TJ's photographs have been so widely viewed, why they've generated such a response. I'm trying to think of how I can put it into words. I, I'm always amazed at the number of people that stop through Cathedral Grove. Just a side note, Cathedral Grove is a provincial park. It's a popular tourist stop on the main highway. To take a look at these giants, you know, these old growth trees, ancient ones. And they're mesmerized by their magnificence. They're so big, you know. They're giants. And they're just... I don't know what kind of word I would use, but enthralled with with what's before them. And I think when you take a look at that one little scenario, and then you take a look at those trees being cut down, it hits a nerve because of what they were, the, the magnificence that they held, the beauty. I believe that's what they're capturing. The boat trip across Barkley Sound took about an hour. We landed on a long sandy beach and set up our tents. The next morning, we hiked into the forest behind us. We followed a river valley, which TJ says is often where the biggest old-growth trees can be found. So right now we're in Vernon Bay in Barkley Sound on the southwest coast of Vancouver Island. This is in the territory of the Uchuklaset and Shisat First Nations. And uh, we're exploring a cedar slope just up off the beach where there are a number of old growth cut blocks laid out. I've done my share of hiking, but this, Actually, the this was something else entirely. By the For starters, there was no trail, and the forest seemed impenetrable. One moment, I'd be down on all fours, crawling under a massive fallen tree. Next, I'd be perched on a pile of rotting branches. TJ was always well ahead of me. Lugging 10 kilograms of camera gear in his backpack, he was in his element, looking for clues to where the biggest trees might be. Someone else had been there more recently, though, too. There was flagging tape tied to some of the trees, strips of pink tape, yellow tape, purple tape, each conveying a certain message. Does that pink flag, that pink flagging down there, though, we think is the edge of the cut block? A bit further along, we came across a piece of yellow tape with the letters CMT written on it. Beside us here is some yellow ribbon marking a culturally modified tree. A culturally modified tree is defined by the province as one that has been, quote, altered by Aboriginal people for their traditional use of the forest. The alteration could go back centuries or even longer. Logging companies aren't allowed to cut down a CMT, which is why the flagging tape is there. By the looks of it, it's... uh, Probably a stump. It could be a stump from a cedar harvested to make a canoe or something else in the past. The further we went, the trees seemed to get bigger. There were towering Sitka spruce and cedars with trunks wider than my arms could reach. We eventually found a couple of really big trees. Two cedar trees in particular, each measured about 10 meters around or nearly 3 meters wide. TJ took photos of both and logged them in his GPS. Still, None of these trees we'd seen were, in his opinion, really big. That afternoon, we took the Zodiac further down the coast, to a stand of trees that TJ thought looked even more promising. We spent another hour or two slogging through the undergrowth. I have to admit, at this point, 
Bushwhacking was losing its charm. It was getting hot. The bugs were bad. I ate some, but not on purpose, and it definitely didn't stop them from biting me. I was ready to pack it in. But that's when we caught a glimpse of another cedar tree. A really big one. Oh. That, that's got to be the biggest we've seen. Oh, yeah. Yeah, wow. That is a large tree. That's a real big tree. There's a certain threshold when they cross that puts them in another league. Is that hitting the threshold? Yeah, I think so. That's a big tree. well over 10 feet wide. This was definitely the biggest tree we'd found all day. That tree's, that's an old tree. Very old tree. Before deciding if this was the tree for the photo, TJ and I made our way through the dense brush at the base of the root system, circling the giant with a measuring tape. Thirty-eight feet in circumference. Wow. So that's how many meters? Eleven point six meters. That's a massive tree. Calculate the diameter here. It measured more than ten meters around, and nearly four meters across, roughly the width of two cars. It was, to borrow Brenda Sayre's word, magnificent. This tree is about twelve, twelve point one feet wide. I think the threshold for red cedar in the new special tree protection regulation that the government came up with is about 12.3 feet in diameter. So this one still might just be under the threshold. Right. And I don't know about your reaction when you saw this, but I think any person that you asked would determine this to be a very big and very special tree. But um, unfortunately those numbers are set so high that it's very hard to reach those targets. The province has a law that protects exceptionally large trees, but this one likely wouldn't qualify. Cedars need to have a diameter of at least 3.85 meters to be protected. The giant tree we were looking up at was likely just short. I asked TJ how old it was, but he would only say really old. This is a very old, old tree. As in centuries old. But ironically, without cutting it down to count the rings on the inside, there was no way to accurately tell. Virtually undisturbed for thousands of years. Right. After TJ measured the tree's diameter, he set up his tripod for a before and after shot. This would be the before shot. He'll post his photo on social media, along with a description of the tree and the surrounding forest. If he can build enough public interest, maybe it won't be logged. Then, maybe, there won't be an after shot. That's his hope, at least. That should also be noted that we're not against logging. We understand that logging has a place Uh, and of course a big history in British Columbia, but it should be taking place in second growth tree plantations. And there should be a more value added side to the the industry that sees more higher end wood products made out of the forest that's being cut. And, you know, there's just no argument that can be made in this day and age that it's okay to cut down trees that are 500 or a thousand years old. In recent polling, it shows that nine out of 10 British Columbians believe that old growth forests should be protected and that we should shift to a more sustainable second growth forest industry. Oh, anyway, <laughs> getting a little off on tangent. <laughs> so is there any chance of a solution here? Is there some way to protect trees like the ones that TJ photographs but also maintain jobs for the thousands of people who rely on them? Or is that just wishful thinking? Will it always be a battle between jobs and the environment? Two years ago, the BC government began a review of its logging rules, specifically for old growth. The government committed to this review in their election platform, so the stakes were high. I spoke with the two people who led that review, Gary Merkel and Al Gorley. I met with Al in person, but Gary and I talked over Zoom. Uh, my name is uh, Gary Merkel. Nadit Deniza Uche, uh, my Teltan name is Nadit Deniza. I am from the Teltan people in northwest British Columbia. We live in the Sakine River area. I'm a professional forester. I've been one for many decades now. And I was the uh, co-chair of the Old Growth Review Panel, a two-member panel uh, with Al Gorley. Yes, my name's Al Gorley, and I've had 48 years uh, as a career in forestry, um, from right at the ground, uh, grassroots level, to policy making. The only reason I really did it 
was because Al was thinking about it. And the only reason Al thought about it was because I was thinking about it. And we kind of got suckered into it. But yeah, not not that I don't care about it. I, I do care about it a lot. Al and Gary have obviously known each other for a long time. And they know forestry better than almost anyone. Starting in 2019, they spent months traveling around BC, getting input on old growth logging. They received thousands of emails and survey responses. I think the thing that actually really surprised both of us and resonated with both of us was the common feeling that we need to do something different here. This is not working. The system we're using right now is not working for industry. It's not working for government, for First Nations or Indigenous peoples. It's not working for the biologists and the scientists and people who have a spiritual connection to the land and society at large, frankly. The, the system that we use now for industrial forestry is not working. Um, and, uh, and it needs to be fixed. It needs to be changed. We heard that across the board. We also heard that addressing old growth is a critical part of what has to change and, uh, and changing the way we actually do industrial forestry on the ground. One of Alan Gary's main recommendations is that forests need to be managed for ecological health, which Gary says would be a huge shift from how it's done today. The current system right now manages for timber subject to constraints. And the constraints are things like uh, old growth management areas, wildlife tree patches, visual quality, all those types of things. You can manage for those, but the total cumulative effect of managing for those cannot cause the annual level cut to change by more than 10%. The problem is you get a list of constraints. Okay, you've got to do this for the marbled murrelet. You've got to do this for the goshawk. You've got to do this for the caribou. You've got to do this for the water, and you've got to do this. It's time-consuming, labor-consuming, and you can't look after land like that. Land has to be looked after as a whole entity being. You can't just say, I'm going to take all of this, and I'm going to try to set a million constraints so I don't destroy everything else. You get paralyzed. We need to shift to a model that manages to maintain ecosystem health. So what exactly does that mean? For ecosystems at risk, like some of the places that TJ hikes into, it means stopping logging, or at least slowing down. On the flip side, there are old growth forests in other parts of the province that are more abundant. For those areas, the report recommends more certainty for logging, something that people like Jim Gervan are pushing for. The other big message from the Old Growth Review is that First Nations need to be much more involved in managing forests. We saw this in spades out there on the ground. First Nations have a very different view about how to manage a land generally when they're doing it from a cultural route that is much more uh, akin to what we were recommending in the report to look after the land properly. And we saw a number of First Nations management systems that reflected that, that were really, we thought, extremely innovative and could help point the way for us. The second reason is, is because of this whole, uh, I'll, call, I'll call reconciliation movement. And so from our perspective, if you're going to follow through with that, then you need to do this under a government-to-government partnership with Indigenous uh, nations. And, uh, and, and there's a whole bunch of side benefits. And, and frankly, we heard that from almost every single interview that we did right across this province, is that, is that that needed to be the core. I asked Gary if he was optimistic that this issue could finally be resolved. Uh, yeah, you almost have to be a bit of an optimist to take on things like this. And so, yes, I, I believe it can happen, but I don't think it's going to happen overnight. It's hard to blame anybody in the system because it's a system that we've grown in. We've been doing this for 200 years. We built British Columbia off the backs of the logging industry, and it's just so deeply embedded in our culture. The transition is going to be 
I don't want to understate that this transition could be difficult. There is no question. Our recommendation was to have a large-scale provincial-level transition and implementation strategy built with multiple sectors supported by scientists and uh, operations people who know how to do it, and to also have local transition plans for areas that would be significantly impacted, at least in the uh, logging sector, because they're going to have to change the way they're doing things. There was something else that Gary and Al said that struck me. It was that the two sides, the loggers and the conservationists, that they aren't as different as you might think. This is Al. The small communities and the logging contractors, people who have mortgaged their houses to buy equipment so that they can go out and do a better job of logging, uh, were just as concerned about not losing biological diversity and not damaging the environment as the people who were protesting outside the windows while we were having meetings. People usually get into this because they, they love to be in the forest and the opportunity to make a living while being in an environment that you love is pretty special. And nobody wants to ruin it. I heard something similar from TJ. Yeah, it's impossible to live in British Columbia and not either have somebody in your family connected to the forest industry or a friend of a friend. I mean, nearly every town had uh, a mill in it at one point in time around here. We're not enemies. Um, we're, we're on this planet together. And it was really good to have conversations with, with people who work in the forest industry and show that you can care about the environment, you can care, you, you can want to protect these forests and want to create sustainable forestry jobs at the same time. And here's Jim Gervan, the former director of the Truck Loggers Association. I think everybody likes big trees. Um, you know, we have family come from Eastern Canada. What do we do? You know, we, we take them out to McMillan Park to show them the big trees. Um, we could walk into my backyard over here and yes, it's a 86 year old second growth forest, there's some big fir trees in there. It's starting to take on those old growth characteristics because it's been preserved for so long. So, so the, notion, the notion that big trees do have value, that people like to see them, I, I get that. If the provincial government made a decision, for example, to say, maybe we should be preserving all of the forests that are at you know, immediate risk of loss of ecological integrity. Right? And that was one of the recommendations in the old growth report that, in, you know, that while they come up with a new way to manage forests based on ecological principles, they should be doing an immediate deferral of harvesting in ecosystems that are at very high risk. And then we'll work over the next few years to, to figure out a new management regime and we'll work collectively on that. That seems like a reasonable compromise at this point. A reasonable compromise. That's about as optimistic a statement as you're likely to hear when it comes to old-growth logging in B.C. I reached out to the B.C. Ministry of Forests for an interview. They declined, but they did provide written responses to several questions I had. The ministry wrote that they are committed to implementing all 14 recommendations from Alan Gary's old-growth review. They wrote, quote, Implementing all the recommendations of the Old Growth Strategic Review will completely transform the way we manage our forests. It will move us from managing ecological targets as constraints in optimizing timber values to putting forest health first. The ministry's response went on to say that, quote, this is a paradigm shift in how we think about, plan, and manage our forests, and it will take time, as the panel acknowledged. There we go. Hey, TJ. Hey, how you going? How's it going, Red? Not too bad. A couple of months after I went out with TJ on his big tree hunt, I called him in Victoria. I was curious if he had any news about the giant tree we had found. Yeah, so since we were out in the woods, um, all 33 of those cut blocks have since been approved. Um, judging by the satellite images, it doesn't appear that any logging has begun at this time, but... Um, it really could be imminent any day now. TJ thought the odds of the tree being cut down were about 50-50. But if the province moved quickly with the recommendations in the Old Goals Review, TJ figured the forest we visited should qualify for protection. He didn't sound overly optimistic, though. How are you feeling in general these days? 
<laughs> uh, man, a little bit of doubt sometimes, but at the same time, also pretty hopeful in that I feel like now we truly do have one of our greatest opportunities to, to make some headway around old growth conservation. TJ's relentlessness reminds me of a conversation we had when I first met him back in August, just before our big tree hunt. At the time, I'd already seen TJ's photographs in newspapers and magazines of the big tree on one side and its giant stump months later on the other. His photos always struck me as eulogies for these old trees, trees that most people would otherwise never see. I wondered how, after 15 years of doing this, he keeps motivated. It's a struggle every day that you come into work working on an, on an issue like this, or I think any big environmental issue. There are days where you feel like you're getting nowhere because often the issues we're dealing with are, are so large that you can't just walk out and say stop and they stop. And then there's days where you feel like you're really making some progress. I need to, at the, the end of the day or the end of my life, know that I did everything that I could to make a difference in this world. And hopefully um, our efforts pay off and a lot of the, the forests that we're working to protect are standing there. And I, I think for someone who loves trees, I have the best job and the worst job in the world. That doc was produced by Brad Bedelt. It was edited by me, A.C. Rowe, and mixed with Tanera McLean. Earlier this month, not long after Brad reached out to the B.C. government for comment, and shortly after he spoke to T.J., the province made a big announcement. Logging is being temporarily deferred for roughly 2.6 million hectares of old-growth forest. The area where Brad joined T.J. on the big tree hunt is included in the logging deferrals, which means the big tree they found might not get cut down. The province says they'll be using the time to consult with local First Nations to develop forest sustainability plans. But some First Nations have raised concerns about the consultation process. The government of BC estimates that this deferral could lead to about 4,500 forestry workers losing their jobs. Meanwhile, the forestry industry has said job losses could be four times higher. At this time, no industry transition support has been announced. The deferral is in place until 2023, so there is no guarantee that any of the old-growth forest it covers will ultimately be protected. To see the massive tree TJ found when he was with Brad, head to our website. We are at cbc.ca slash docproject. There, you can also see photos from TJ's before and after series. That's all for us this week. The Doc Project is produced by Tanera McLean, Joan Weber, Allison Cook, Sherry Okeke, Kristen Nelson, and me. Althea Manassan is our digital producer, and our senior producer is Jennifer Warren. I'm AC Rowe. Thanks for listening. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.